Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Wayman Wednesday. That means you're about to hear a message from the founder of our fellowship, Pastor Wayman Mitchell. Even though he entered into his reward and is in the presence of our Lord, we still need to hear his clarion call to faithfulness, holiness, discipleship, and commitment to the cause of Christ. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. We do want to mention how much we appreciate the donut ladies that serve faithfully. Amen. Stayed saved all week. We do want to appreciate the ushers, all the labors that they put forth, and uh, the, amen. The people that count the money uh, late at night, a hard job, we appreciate that. Ezra chapter one, if you have your Bibles, Turn there with me. There are many things uh, that stir the human soul. Many people are moved by political causes. Many people are moved by dreams of riches. Many people take up causes of civil rights. Uh, the, uh, they are very valid. Uh, freedom from slavery, the deliverance of uh, those from slavery. All of these things are capable of moving the human soul. People have a cause. But in the Bible, it's very interesting to me, I was triggered on the prospect of God's statements about stirring the human heart and the human soul. Because in the Bible, it relates very clearly that when this happens, uh, it accomplishes something far beyond just the changing of history and the changing of circumstances and the changing of uh, society's laws. Uh, It involves eternity and releases destiny uh, for the purpose of God. The book of Ezra, chapter one, one of the great revelatory passages in scripture, I want to begin with verse one of chapter one. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of the place uh, help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, and all whose spirits God had moved, 
arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things besides uh, all that was willingly offered. I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes about divine stirrings. In the Bible, there are sovereign stirrings that are documented for our benefit. God has a purpose. And it is very interesting that in the book of Genesis, when it says uh, that darkness was upon the face of the deep, uh, that the Spirit of God moved uh, upon the face uh, of the waters. And the Bible, as I preached earlier in the week, uh, documents for us that God said that he has a purpose uh, and he states uh, some nine times from the foundation of the world, he has an agenda towards which he is moving. Acts chapter 15 verse 18 says, known to God from eternity are all his works. We are those who believe what the Bible reveals. Can you say amen? There are people who are called deists. They, uh, deism is a uh, religion, a religious philosophy that says God created the world, but he does not intervene in the affairs of life. But in the book that I hold in my hand, we have the record again and again of the Holy Spirit of God moving upon men and here is a classic example I want to look at with you. What we see here is the underlying work of God. This is phenomenal. And in Ezra chapter 1 verse 1, uh, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled by the word of Jeremiah. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation and put it in writing. In verse 5 says, Then the heads of the fathers, uh, with all whose spirits God had stirred. Now think with me for a moment, uh, because uh, if you're a Bible student, uh, God named this man whose name is King Cyrus, uh, named him 100 years before he was born in the book of the prophecies uh, and outlined that he was going to do the event uh, that we're reading about tonight. Think about that for a moment. God, uh, who sees the end from the beginning, uh, named this man uh, before he was ever born. This has a mind-boggling uh, uh, contemplation because here we are seeing individual human beings that are sovereignly moved uh, by God for his own purpose and for his own agenda. In Judges 13, verse 25, we see the history of a man named Samson. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahane, or the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now think about that for a moment, because here is a human being, and beyond any kind of events or preparation or any kind of agenda that they have, God sovereignly begins to move and move towards his purpose to accomplish his purpose. The whole history of the Bible is God of his own volition stirring human beings. We have a man named Paul 
known formerly as Saul. He's on the road to Damascus. And as he's there, he later says in his testimony, I thought to do many things against the name of Jesus Christ. But here we have... And the Bible says that this man is being confronted. God is confronting this man in his ambitions, in his purposes, in his ideas, in his personal agenda, in his actions. And he's being confronted concerning that. And God later, or Jesus says to him as he confronts him, why do you kick against the pricks or the goads? Now to this generation, they don't have the slightest clue what that means. Because you've never seen a horse or team in harness pulling a wagon. You were born with Volkswagens on your mind. <laughs> I have actually seen horses in yoke in a team as they were slapped by the reins to get them to move. I've seen them kick back up. Well, what they did in Bible days is they had a sharp stick and what they would do when the animal was stubborn and most animals are stubborn at one point or the other is they would they would stick them with the gold and they would kick. And so Paul's, uh, Paul is here and God's got him in his crosshairs. And he's about to bring him to grips with the circumstances of life, uh, knocks him off his donkey. He's laying on the ground and says, why are you kicking against the goads or the sharp stick? Who are you, Lord? You see, God has the ability to sovereignly confront human beings. And here in the scripture, we have a wonderful example of that. A man named Cyrus, named a hundred years before he was born by the prophet of God. Here God is stirring up this pagan heathen king and causing him to be moved towards his purposes. Haggai relates the work of God in Haggai 1.14 says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and he says, The high priest and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked in the house of the Lord their God. You see, the Bible's filled with this imagery. We have Nebuchadnezzar. You know the story. Nebuchadnezzar's a king. He's quite uh, proud of all of his accomplishments. Uh, and as he's walking one day upon the wall, and he's looking over this great Babylon, uh, which he says, my hands have created, uh, God speaks to him in Daniel 4, verse 32 says, they'll make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times uh, shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomsoever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He fell down in all fours. And for seven years, he's eating grass because God has the ability to sovereignly move upon human beings. And here we see him stirring a man by the Spirit from the placing of Joseph down in Egypt to preserve the godly seed to the call of Jeremiah before he was ever born. He was called and ordained as a prophet of God. God was moving sovereignly upon human beings to accomplish his purpose. Now think with me for a moment, will you, about the tremendous need that there is for 
God's stirring human beings for the kingdom. See, this is the age of apathy. This is the age of the so what. This is the age of uh, uh, so uh, who cares. And if we're not very careful, uh, we begin to enter into, even in the religious world, uh, we can begin to enter into that, well, so what? That doesn't involve me. I was reading a book recently, and it reminded me of the story uh, that was made world famous of Kitty Genovese. This is a woman on the streets of New York City who, within the space of one half hour, was attacked three times on the streets of New York in full public view, observed by no less than 38 uh, tenants and passers-by that observed this woman. No one came to her defense. Uh, No one called the police to help her. All were there simply looking on. And this is one of the great phenomenons of human history in America as this woman paid with her life as no one could be stirred to intervene in this affair. As they examined this and said, why did these 38 people see this? No one did anything. And they analyzed it and said, the problem is... It is a bystander problem or a bystander uh, syndrome. Now what we're dealing with as we come to the call of God and the stirring of God uh, is the measure of our hearts tonight. Here in this text, uh, we have the question asked, uh, who is there among all his people? Nehemiah 1, 3, and 4 says... uh, And they said to me, the survivors are left from the captivity in the province. Are there in great distress and reproach? The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting, praying before the God of heaven. So here we have now a desperate need to be moved for kingdom purposes. And the Bible says, Nehemiah heard the condition of the temple in Jerusalem. This is the testimony of God. This is the manifested place upon earth that God has chosen to place his name. He hears of the ruin. He hears of the destitution of the people. And it so overwhelmed him. He is the cupbearer to the king. He has a posh position. His future secured. It so moved him He could no longer go on normally, uh, and he fell down, began to weep uh, and to cry uh, for the condition uh, of the testimony of God. What we're dealing with tonight, uh, that is a measure of our heart, is a heart um, for God and a heart for people. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 16, says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit uh, was stirred in him, when he saw the city holy given unto idolatry. So here gives us a little bit of insight why Paul had this dynamic ministry that still is marveled at around the world, probably besides our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest ministry in Christian history. We get a little insight is because Paul observed this uh, and the Bible says his spirit uh, was stirred uh, in him. 
Jesus speaks about this and says, this is a measure of genuine faith. You know the story, it's the story of the Good Samaritan and the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, 33 and 34 says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Went to him, bound him up, put him in his own donkey and put him in the inn. You know the story. There's a lesson for us in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, Acts 13, verse 22. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations uh, that are done within it. Uh, Acts 13, 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also they gave testimony and said, uh, I found David, the son of Jesse, uh, a man after my own heart, uh, who will do all my will. So as we begin to focus in tonight uh, and begin to uh, think about the issues that are involved, uh, here God cares about people. Can you say amen? amen? And what moves God is the desperation of people that are in sin uh, who have no help and have no hope. Uh, he said to Jonah, uh, as he's there, uh, and Jonah, who uh, 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 got mad because God killed the vine that was giving him a little bit of shade, uh, he said, you're concerned about this stupid vine, but can't you be moved by 120,000 people in, in Nineveh who can't tell their right hand from their left? You see, God is moved tonight uh, by people who are stirred in their spirit. It's unbelievable to me that in a nation uh, that they claim there are 50 million born-agains, that God's work is shoved to the back burner. Abortion thrives today. It thrives simply because people who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, uh, number one, will not pray. See, God hears and answers prayer. Secondly, they will not speak out. Here's our nation. It is riddled with illegitimacy. An overwhelming proportion of babies that are born, read the paper yourself, are born out of wedlock. They're illegitimate. Illegitimacy is rampant. Immorality, ungodliness, uncleanness of every kind haunts our nation unabated while 50 million born again who claim to believe that God hears and answers prayer, keep silence before God and will not speak out. Are we to believe this evening that the Holy Spirit is passive in light of the condition of our nation? Are we to believe that God, no longer God who looked upon the earth that was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and began to bring out the creative glory of God? Are we to believe that that same Holy Spirit simply standing by has nothing to say to 50 million born-again believers uh, about the condition uh, of uh, our nation. God says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Can you say amen tonight? So then this brings us to the conclusion that something's astray here in America. I wish I could stand with confidence and say that every church that's represented here tonight has a pastor that calls its people to the attention of believing God, sets the example, and is in the prayer room and continually challenges people to lay hold of God. I wonder tonight as we're in this place, can you be stirred tonight? Will you be like Jonah who is there? A little bit of his comforts destroyed. He's got a plant that's making him comfortable in the shade while he's uh, uh, filled with juices of self-pity and bitterness and he's mad at God uh, and he gets mad at God because he killed a plant. Can you be stirred tonight about a world, about a city, about a community that... God would bring some kind of solution for their sin. I want to talk to you about the personal engagement here. The difficulty we have in the Christian world is the era of Calvinism. And this goes under various kinds of uh, disguises. But literally what it means is that God will do what he wants to do and uh, he is moving towards that regardless of what we do. It doesn't really matter And uh, this is disengagement uh, of the human will. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Well, that song was not written by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We have Islam that is on a march of world domination. Islam has a phrase, insalah. God wills. This will disguise anything from murderous terrorists uh, to an inactive uh, participation in life. And so tonight as you and I are sitting in this building, our theological view must be in line and must be based on divine revelation uh, as it's written in the Bible. Paul prays for the Ephesian church uh, and he says, I pray that you may have uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I constantly take Bible classes deliberately to try to reveal various facets of God's nature, working and being and statements as they are in the Bible. Can you say amen? Because any theology that we have is not based upon the Bible will not do the work of God. And we are responsible tonight as we're sitting here to engage the Holy Spirit working on a personal level. Yes, God is sovereign. His history reveals that he moves towards a sovereign agenda. Yes, God powerfully is at work in the earth. But the Bible says that we are responsible personally to engage the Holy Spirit on a personal level towards the work of God. Here in this text that we read is a response to the Holy Spirit personally. Listen to 
the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 6. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. This is a pagan king. Move with me tonight. Think about the fantastic statements that is there. This is a pagan king, but he has been impacted by the people of God. He is responding to, and he speaks these words. And all those who are around them encourage them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. And so here is a personal engagement of the human will to be stirred by the Holy Spirit. This is more than just some magic formula. We're going to come to conference. We're going to get some magic formula. My preaching is very simple tonight, as my preaching always is. It is on a level that we can understand. God's, uh, God's uh, call and agenda is not complicated. Can you say amen? It is very simple. That is not our problem. We don't understand God. We don't understand. Lord, we don't. Mark Twain said it's not about the, uh, what I don't understand about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand about. That's what bothers me. Can you say amen tonight? Listen to Ezra chapter 1 and verse 4. As the Holy Spirit says, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Listen tonight to this quote. This is a profound statement by a poet. We cannot kindle when we will the fire that in the heart resides. The spirit bloweth and is still in mystery our soul abides. But tasks and hours of insight willed can be through hours of gloom fulfilled. We cannot kindle when we will. No, we cannot kindle when we will, but there is a dimension where we can engage the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will move us into that purpose that God is giving on planet Earth. Paul gives a profound lesson for us tonight. He writes to a young pastor. His name is Timothy. Timothy is pastoring a powerful church in Ephesus. And this young man was called by God, by Paul's own ministry. He's entrusted with the most glorious trust in time or eternity, which is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to pastor a church toward the purposes of God. And this is the most glorious privilege on planet Earth. And Paul writes to this young man, listen to these words, hear it tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now here's the apostle Paul. He's writing to a man who is the pastor of a powerful church. This young man's name is Timothy. 
He has a responsibility, but apparently he had begun to turn aside. We don't know whether this is through laziness, whether this was through diversion problems, uh, maybe materialism, uh, but he's grown cold uh, in his soul. And Paul says to him, I want to remind you to stir up uh, or to rekindle the Holy Spirit of God uh, which came in you when I laid hands upon you. Now most of you again have no idea what I'm talking about because you've never seen a fire in a fireplace or a stove. You have gas logs. All you have to do is turn it on, throw a match in. But anyone who is knowledgeable and is older, they know when we used to cook with and heat with wood stoves, we used to have wood fireplaces. And wood, if left to itself, will finally begin to die out because it lacks oxygen. And this is why they have what's called pokers or grates. And you either shake the grate or poke it with a poker and you stir it up and oxygen get, and it begins to burn brightly again. This is exactly the imagery that Paul uh, writes to this young man, Timothy, and says, Timothy, for God's sake, don't uh, neglect uh, this gift that is in you. I want you to stir up this gift. God is moving upon you. God is depending upon you for that congregation. Uh, God wants to help you, Timothy. I'm hearing some rumors uh, that you're diverting off into other things, uh, and I uh, urge you to stir up the gift. Let some oxygen get into your soul so the Spirit of God begin to burn, uh, and you have some passion, uh, and you have some fire again. We have a man named Samson. This is a very interesting story. And the Bible says, uh, I read a little bit about this man, said the Spirit of God began to move him at the camp, uh, in the camp of Dan from time to time. And uh, we have a very interesting statement about Samson because Samson had learned uh, how to engage the Holy Spirit. You know the story? It's used in wrong ways, but finally he came to the end of his days and the Bible says that he shook himself as before and he knew not that the spirit had departed from him. Now we don't know exactly uh, what that shaking was. We're not sure exactly, but what it does know, say is that somehow Samson had learned to engage the Holy Spirit and we don't know exactly what that is, but we better, by the grace of God tonight, learn how that we can engage the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you shake your leg, or you shake your hand, or if you shake your stomach, or if you shake your blubber, but we better learn what it is. Can you say amen? We better get God stirred up inside that that fire begin to burn for us tonight. Someone said there's a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. Omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. What's happened to someone who no longer can be stirred for God? What has transpired in their experience with God when the Spirit of God no longer 
can't stir them. Can we think about Eli? Here's Eli, the Bible says that Eli is the head representative of the tabernacle. And the Bible says that he has so lost the ability that he no longer can be spoken to. His sons are openly fornicating. His sons are openly stealing the offerings of God that are given in worship. And all he's able to do is croak out a little bit, why why are you doing that, my sons? We could only speculate. But what happens to a man who can no longer be stirred by God? You know the sad story of Eli? The final chapter is he's sitting on a fence and he hears that the ark of God has been taken and the Bible says that he is very heavy. In other words, he's a fat, obese slob. He's been up to the golden corral too many times around. Here's the news and it falls off and breaks his neck. What a horror. Think about that. He must have been stirred by God at one time. He must have had something in his character because here he is. He's the high priest of God. What happens to a man when he no longer is able to be stirred by God. Listen to this ad that I clipped out from the Prescott Courier. Now the Prescott Courier is just under a world organ of renowned news. (laughs) Listen to this ad in our Prescott Courier. The one prophesied by all the major world religions will soon be seen by everyone. He will not endorse any particular religion over any other, nor will he send anyone to hell. He will inspire mankind to see itself as one huge family and to rebuild the world based upon the principles of sharing justice, brotherhood, and love. Read all about it and free literature. And it's even on a website. You know who that is? That's the Antichrist, my friend. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. See, this paper wouldn't take my ad wiping Israel off the map. It was too controversial. And God knows we can't have anything controversial in the age in which we live because we might offend someone. But they can print an ad from the Antichrist. No problem, whatever. Someone gave me an article which was astonishing to me. Actual true story, a woman who had been carrying a dead baby for 27 years. Think about that for a moment. In her body, she once had a child that kicked and wiggled and had life, but had died. She carries this dead child in her body for 27 years years. Is that a picture of your church, Pastor? We don't know the circumstances. We're not knowledgeable about what transpired, but what a tragic picture even of individuals who no longer can be stirred by God. Paul's heart agonized 
And he said, my little children, of whence I agonize again until Christ be formed in you again. Stirred by the Spirit of God. Divine stirrings. Can you tonight as you're sitting in this building been a wonderful, wonderful conference. God has powerfully moved. I want to ask you this question. I want you to be confronted by that point blank. Can you still be stirred by the Spirit of God? The Scripture says you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving around the next several moments. Divine stirrings.